it going? I'm Coco. And this is Mike. And this is Rock and Vino, the podcast where we talk about wine and music and how the two go so well together. You can find past episodes all over the web wherever fine podcasts are offered. Find them at Apple Podcasts on the TuneIn Radio app, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, all over the place. Uh, rockandvino.com. Check it out on social media at Rock and Vino, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Like and subscribe and rate it too. That's I'm throwing that in every week now. If you like yeah. it, rate it. Maybe like five stars, something like that. That's, other, that's cool. Other people might find it. <laughs> Uh, you get new episodes every Tuesday if you subscribe. Then they'll come right to you and you don't have to find them. And this is a milestone episode. Yes, I think it's it our is. first milestone episode. It is. Number 50. Five Very zero. I, I don't think we could have found a better guest for the 50th episode. <laughs> I, I, I was... It would have we would have had no show if I just put down all the accolades. Like it, <laughs> it, it would have taken the whole half hour. Uh, it was named Cult Winery of the Year. Uh, five years running, had the highest uh, Malbec rating from Robert Parker. Was the first winemaker on the Forbes 30 Under 30 list. It, it as I said, it could go on forever. But uh, Jesse Katz is here, winemaker from Devil Proof Vineyards and Aperture Cellars. Thanks for coming in. Honored to be here, especially on the big 5 0. Yeah. Congratulations. Woop woop. We got some good wines to celebrate with. That's yeah, for sure. I had to wait till 5 0 happened. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, we've been trying to get you on the show for a while. I know. Sorry. I've well, barely been we, here. <laughs> you've been busy jet setting around the world. So, well, yeah. Not, 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 not as much global, but yes, throughout yeah. the U.S., quite cool. a bit. Nice. Um, but honored to be here. Thank you guys. Yes, thank you. Yeah. yeah you have such an amazing background. I mean, take us through just a little bit of kind of your chronology of, of your winemaking career, because it, it really kind of started right in from the beginning. Yeah, I started drinking quite young, you're correct. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I don't come from your typical wine background. Uh, I, bo- I was born and raised in Boulder, Colorado, um, and my father's a photographer, and um, I was really fortunate as a child, I got to travel with my family all over the world. And uh, by the time I was 18, I had traveled to over 80 countries with my family. And when um, I was about 12 years old, my father really started to do projects on uh, wine regions. And up until then, to speak to the rockin' part of this podcast, <laughs> um, he was doing like rock and roll album covers and stuff. Oh, and so he no did way. That's um, awesome. album covers for Dan Fogelberg, Doobie Brothers. I think he has six platinum uh, albums with his photography on it. And um, shortly after that, and he, he still kind of dabbled in that uh, during his wine stint, uh, he got uh, a job to go over to California to take a, photos of the wineries and vineyards for a super high-end restaurant in Colorado called Michael's American Bistro. And um, he went out there really not knowing much about wine at all and completely fell in love with the culture of it, uh, made some very, very wonderful friends. And this is like the late 80s, early 90s. And um, uh, w- one very imp- important person in his career, and which kind of helped uh, alter my career, was uh, Robert Mondavi. And uh, uh, Mondavi saw some of these incredible photos that my father was taking, and uh, talked to him about doing a book on Napa and Sonoma to kind of really promote the whole region, which Mondavi was such a visionary in. <laughs> and my father's very first book was released in '92, called "The Portrait of Napa and Sonoma," and Robert Mondavi did the intro. And that really catapulted my father's career. Um, and he's now done 15 books and uh, nine on wine regions. He's just getting ready to release his uh, 16th, which was, is on a very famous winery in Oregon called Domaine Serene. Mm-hmm. Um, and really kind of found a niche and a huge passion and love for wine, uh, food, and the whole culture of it. And so I was very fortunate as a child. Uh, not only did we get to travel to Napa and Sonoma, but we lived in Tuscany and Burgundy and Bordeaux and all over the world. We did other travels as well, but really his kind of focus on that part of his career was in wine regions. And so anytime you're outside of the United States in any of these wine regions, they introduce you to wine as part of the food and part of the, the culture. And so true, I was a young kid <laughs> sitting at the dinner table with my family uh, at these amazing chateaus and domains uh, throughout the world uh, at some of the greatest wineries on the planet and getting introduced to the wine that way as part of the culture as it should be. And I was always fascinated with it. Um, my parents always kind of teased me that about my palate because I was able to kind of pick up things that uh, sometimes they weren't even able to. And uh, But never in my wildest dreams did I think I could be a winemaker. It seemed like it needed to be passed down generation to generation, almost within your bloodline. 
Um, so I left Colorado when I was 18 to go to business school in California and I needed a summer job and I got a job at Fest Parker Winery when I was 18 years old and saw that there was actually a career path in this for uh, someone who wasn't um, necessarily in, in the family business um, and started applying to schools and got into UC Davis and Fresno State, uh, which arguably are the two of the best viticulture and enology schools in the world. Um, I decided to go to Fresno State because there's a full working winery on campus. Um, so oh, wow. not only did I get to get my theoretical background, but I also got to work in the vineyards and work in the winery and be a part of sales of it as well. The only part of the school that makes more money than the winery is the football team. Um, <laughs> so there was able to give kids like myself scholarships from some of the proceeds that they had there. And uh, during that time period, I really fell in love with Bordeaux Bridles. And since then, pretty much the entirety of my career has been focused on, especially early on, was working at some of the best estates, best vineyards, and surrounding myself by the best talent I possibly could. And I've been really fortunate uh, in the sense to be able to have studied um, all over the world. So I, the first few years, I was spending half the year in the Southern Hemisphere for our winter and then coming back uh, for our harvest. So in you know three years, I got six harvest under my belt and worked for winemakers like Paul Hobbs and the Argiano and Sasakaya family in this small project in Patagonia. Um, Bob Foley, who was the winemaker at Pride Mountain for many years, um, it studied at uh, Petrus, and during that kind of time period, it was when my father was doing his book on Bordeaux, and so got to spend a lot of time at some of the first growths, at Aubryon, Chateau Margaux. Um, and then I was at Screaming Eagle when I uh, I started Aperture, and also when David Ramey uh, recruited me from Screaming Eagle to uh, Lancaster State, where I took over as the director of winemaking uh, for Lancaster and Roth, and um, a wonderful experience. I was the youngest head winemaker in this uh, United States at the time when I moved over to uh, there, and loved the estate, had some wonderful times there, and um, kind of got to a point that the brand, my own brand, uh, Aperture, and then I, uh, in 2012, I started Devil Proof, uh, was creating enough demand and attention that I decided to give my notice uh, to Lancaster uh, in 2015, started searching for some property, and here we are in the middle of construction of the brand new Aperture Estate uh, facility just outside of Hillsburg. Wow, that's so exciting. So quite the run there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and drinking all the way through. Of course. Yes. I would not expect anything less. <laughs> some of the wines we've talked about, or some of the wineries that you've worked with that we've talked about could be considered cult wineries. Uh, what uh, Can it describe what that term means? What What's different about that type of winery? So cult wineries, really the essence of it is um, wines that are really difficult to get and usually uh, demand a significant price point because there's not a lot of supply and a huge amount of demand. Um, and usually why cult wines are created or why they turn into cult wines, uh, I think critics early on had a huge part to it of, uh, you know, it gets a massive score or something like that. But this estates that kind of consistently are able to hold that ground of cult wine um, kind of set uh, to me, uh, at least the ones that I've been able to see, uh, set a bar that there is, they'll do, n there's no expense too great to create something pe perfect. And if there's something they can do to make it better, they will. Um, so I think that is where, uh, and they're able to demand a price that, that they're able to do that kind of thing for, for, for those wines. Uh, I think Colt wine is vastly overused. Um, <laughs> so, um, yeah, I would take that with a grain of salt. But uh, usually it's a supply-demand issue, and there's a lot of demand for this wine for whatever reasons, whether it's a sommelier, a chef, a wine critic, or a group of individuals who have figured out how special this site, this vineyard, this winery, whatever it may be, is. Um, and there's usually not much of some of those wines, and um, they sell out really quickly. That They sell for more expensive on the secondary market. Mm -hmm. uh, that is kind of the essence of the cult wine. And I'm sure a lot of that kind of has to do, too, with the availability of that wine. You know, usually the cult wine. Supply-demand. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. People want what they can't have. <laughs> Always. And, and, and usually why, like, sometimes the single vineyard wines or single uh, estate properties tend to be more of the cult wines is because 
you know, you can't just scale those up. Mm-hmm. Like that Devil Proof Malbec, that is a one single block up in the hills of um, Alexander Valley that is Old Vine Dry Farm Zinfandel. There's nothing else out there like that in that area that I have found at least. Mm-hmm. And I I wish the, the block was 20 times bigger because we would certainly be able to sell a lot more if, if we did. But it's this teeny, teeny little block and we sell out so quickly and it's not like I can be able to scale that up. Mm-hmm. Now, currently, you've been working on building the new winery. Uh, what are some of your plans out there? I wanted to do something very modern as well. So after a meeting with uh, these guys and our, our lead architect is Juan Carlos Fernandez, amazing, amazing guy who's become a very dear friend. Um, he kind of had this idea of uh, taking the aperture of the lens, dissecting it, and taking those shutters, and that's the winery. Wow. So if you look at the winery, it's all these pieces of the shutter uh, that looks – It's I, I'm not doing it justice. You'll have to see it, but it's really an eye-catching uh, statement. It's all the, these four shutters that are kind of separated. It's a 20,000-square-foot building, mm-hmm. but kind of all separated from one another. And then the hospitality area is that – aperture actually made three-dimensional and so when the aperture is closed we have all these different private rooms so we can do vip tastings uh and all these uh intimate small vip tastings or if we have a big event or a wine dinner all the walls and glass open up and we can have this big indoor outdoor space as well that's phenomenal um so but very modern it's like it's it's metal glass cement and uh some wood accents some stucco for the hospitality but I don't know any other winery out there like it. And wow. as far as the production facility goes, I've designed three different facilities. I've been a part of five different facilities as uh, during construction. Uh, we use the same general contractor that built Screaming Eagle when I was there, uh, Grassi, and they're phenomenal. And uh, really wanted to build my dream, dream winery. So all the bells and whistles that I've dreamt about, the optical sorting, fully... Uh, hot and cold jacketed tanks on the side and the bottom, uh, automated pump overs. Every single uh, tank has its own pump. And so it's kind of an enclosed system. So we do a lot of native fermentations where we don't add any commercial yeast. And so each tank can kind of take off on, on its own. And also with automated pump overs, we can extract when we want, how we want, for how long we want. We don't have to worry about labor or if people showing up on time, um, we can do pump overs throughout the night as needed. Wow. That sounds amazing. Four different temperature (laughs) controlled barrel rooms. So really kind of, I created it to make the best wines I possibly could. Now what the timeline on that for, uh, for people to actually come out and check out probably early next year's, uh, yeah, the, the hospitality building will, I think we'll have our official grand opening next spring. Um, and you can check out, uh, go to our website for Aperture. I think it's aperture-sellers.com or just Google Aperture Sellers. Um, and if you sign up for a mailing list, we'll send you out a, a, a notice when we're going to be opening. Um, but yeah, my guess is probably next spring. Very cool. If everything goes well. <laughs> but we'll, we'll be making wine there this, this harvest. Now, for people looking to get a hold of the wines, like, I mean, you mentioned there was a waiting list for some of these. How much of a wait are people going to have to expect if they want to try these different wines, I guess is the best way to put it. It, it, it depends. Devil Proof might be a little bit of a wait. Mm-hmm. Um, but some of the Aperture wines, we have, we just uh, did our spring release, uh, spring summer release. And so some of these, the Sauvignon Blanc uh, and our Cabernet Blend, our Bordeaux Blend, uh, are currently available. They'll probably sell out in the next few months or so. Uh, but those are uh, really allocation-based and mailing list and through our website. Um, you, we don't have that much retail. We have a, in, them in a lot of restaurants from uh, Valette, Single Thread, French Laundry. We were really fortunate to work with some great uh, chefs and sommeliers for those. Um, but really how you purchase them is through our website. And what's the price point of the Aperture line? Um, our whites range from 25 to 40, and our reds range from 55 to 140. Awesome. Yeah. And how about devil proof? <laughs> <laughs> Depends. Uh, on the secondary market, it's pretty expensive. Uh, if you get it through us, it's 150. Awesome. And then I noticed um, that you um, partake in a lot of charitable events and donate proceeds. Um, so tell us a little bit about the charitable charities that you're involved in and kind of how you work with them and support them. Yeah, for. Many, many years, uh, we didn't spend a dime on any marketing or anything, and all of our, uh, all of that kind of resources went towards charitable aspects. And so we've worked with a lot of different charities, and um, from becoming independent, I've been a, a, a ch- uh, on the chair of 
which is a local charity here uh, in Sonoma County that uh, works with mentally disabled after they turn 18 and there's not a lot of funding for mm-hmm. them. Um, Navy SEALs Foundation, we've made wine for them. Um, uh, and another label I'm a partner of called The Setting, uh, we do a lot of charitable things. So we, Emerald Lagasse's Foundation, um, there's, I, I couldn't name all of them. There's, yeah, there's, so there's a lot of charities we work with. Um, and, and what we've had to do, because in this industry you get a lot of asks, and instead of giving a bottle here and there, we've really tried to focus uh, moving forward on a, a few key charities each year and where we can have a big presence um, and create an auction lot or something that to really make a, a larger difference. Mm-hmm. Nice. Now, one of those distinctions, the charitable aspect, was uh, one of the wine auctions was uh, – the highest a, a single <laughs> bottle of wine has ever gone for, I think it was $350,000. Yes, it set the Guinness what? Book of World Records for most expensive <laughs> bottle of wine wow. ever sold. What, what bottle was that, and, and where, did, uh, where did it sell to? So, under the setting wines, uh, we do a Napa Cab uh, out of Oakville, a vineyard uh, just next to Screaming Eagle there, um, a Alexander Valley Cab, a vineyard just next to um, Verite called uh, SJ Ranch, and then a barrel fermented Sauvignon Blanc. And then we do a bunch of different uh, celebrity charitable labels as well. All of our celebrity aspect labels always have some sort of charitable component to them. Uh, so we've done a label for Von Miller, the Super Bowl MVP, who gave it out as gifts. And then for his eye charity, uh, Tony Hawk, which all the proceeds went to the Tony Hawk Foundation, uh, building parks for kids all over the world. And then um, the one you're speaking of was for a label that we did uh, for Shep Gordon and uh, for those who don't know the name Shep Gordon, you certainly know his effect on the food industry, entertainment industry. He's kind of the guy behind the scenes. There's a wonderful movie called Supermensch that Mike Myers uh, directs. But Shep is was the manager of Alice Cooper, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, and really created the identity of celebrity chefs as well. So, so many chefs. Uh, are just at awe with this guy. And Emerald Lagasse was one of his uh, clients, um, really brought Emerald from the back of the house to the front of the house and kind of created the whole identity that we now know as of Emerald. And at Emerald's largest foundation, uh, or charitable foundation, um, called Carnival de Vin, which is in New Orleans every year, we, Shep had, th- I think, three bottles left and auctioned one off as a... You know, private collectors. All the other bottles were sold or given to like the A-list celebrities of the world, and uh, there was this bidding war. I was supposed to be at this event, and <laughs> the first bid I think was a hundred thousand uh, dollars for this, and <laughs> wow. someone else wanted it, and it ended up setting the Guinness Book of World Records for most expensive bottle of wine ever sold. Um, and the first time Sonoma County, this was our Alexander Valley Cab, uh, has ever had that honor. So that was something else that I was very very proud of. Now, was that one going in that you, you knew this is going to go for a lot, or did that come as a complete shock to you to, to learn that? Well, I I, th- I thought it would go big because they're a Shep Gordon, and we had a lot of great wine collectors there. Um, but I was supposed to be at the event, and I wasn't even able to go because my mom came out and visited me at the last moment. And uh, she still lives in Boulder, Colorado, so I couldn't say no. And I was sitting at dinner, and my phone is just blowing up. And so I excuse myself from dinner, and I pick up, and it was like Fox News and Esquire and People Magazine tell me about this most expensive (laughs) bottle of wine ever sold. And I was kind of sitting there flabbergasted, like, please fill me in. uh, I can't wait to hear about this. Uh, And so that's actually how I found out about it. Now, you mentioned some of the, uh, the different celebrity labels you work with. Uh, have you found? I mean, are, are those are those people you know more into wine than you would think? You know, how do you get connected with the? Do they seek you out? Uh, they usually seek us out, and it's a wide variety. Uh, some just seek us out because they know we're going to make a wonderful wine and a great product. Uh, Shep is super into wine mm-hmm. and wanted to be a part of the blending. And uh, his favorite wine is uh, Cheval Blanc, which is a Bordeaux on the right bank, which has a lot of Cabernet Franc influence, and that's one of his favorite varietals. So we did a heavy dose of Cabernet Franc into the Cabernet for his blend. So it really it's it's client by client basis. Um, but we really, no matter what, I my job is to make sure it's a very spectacular, special, unique uh, wine, and then I tailor it to what 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 they're looking for. With um, the setting wines, since um, you're kind of working with 
a chef on these wines. Um, it was just that wine. Just this just one the, wine. So for the, the setting label itself, um, we have our kind of frame, which is our setting. Uh, that is just me and two uh, partners that are in there uh, that both have a lot of different uh, charitable elements uh, to their other businesses. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that's the partnership there. Oh, cool. Yeah, okay. so chefs aren't always involved. We all we normally drink with a lot of chefs, <laughs> yeah, definitely, uh, and eat eat uh, eat and drink wines a lot uh, in different restaurants. But um, that's our corporate. That's our uh, interaction with those chefs. And then, do you make your wines with the intention to pair well with food? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah always. Um, cool. That kind of goes hand in hand with me. Um, not that I always. Eat when I'm drinking, and there are certainly occasions right now where this is a perfect uh, yeah. setting to be drinking. Um, but no, the, you know, I think food and uh, wine uh, is 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 so important to you know when you're able to sit down with friends and family over a fantastic meal and some killer wines, it really completes the evening and may, and brings it to the next level. So yeah, I all all my wines. Uh, I told you about the textural elements that I like to showcase, but they all have a natural acidity. I don't acidify any of my wines. So there's always a bright freshness uh, element to them uh, from our whites to our reds. And I really like to make wines that certainly have plenty of ageability, but if you open them now, especially our big reds, if you give them a little bit of air, they'll kind of evolve throughout the evening and open up. I don't fine or filter any of our reds. And they still have, because we're kind of working with some of the cooler sites within uh, uh, the regions, especially um, on our Alexander Valley and, and Sonoma uh, projects, that has a little bit more freshness, a little bit more vibrancy than, than some of the warmer regions that you can see throughout the area. Another thing we alluded to earlier was the the Forbes 30 Under 30 list. Uh, first winemaker ever to be to have that distinction to be on that list. I mean, that probably you, the poorest person to ever be on that list. <laughs> <laughs> that, that had to come as a surprise, also to to get that call yeah, to be find out that you're included in that list. Yeah, it was four days before I turned 30, so it, uh, <laughs> oh it, it my worked God. just quite well. made it. <laughs> my 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 birthday's uh, January 4th, and this came out on New Year's uh, Eve, so. Um, yeah, true, true honor to be on that list. Uh, obviously, with um, I think LeBron and uh, like wow. who, who was on the list with me. I was certainly the poorest person to ever be on that list. I think they just needed someone to bring alcohol to the party. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Basketball players do love wine. I've found LeBron's out. LeBron's a huge wine yeah. lover. Yeah, huge wine I'm, lover. I'm like fascinated by this fact that like so many basketball players are so into wine and like have these amazing private experiences that they like seek out in Napa. It's, I'm like, come to the Sonoma side. Yeah, I totally. No, well, that's that's why we're creating this. We're going to get a lot exactly. more. Exactly. <laughs> I, I was with Dwayne Wade and uh, Aspen a few weeks back. Oh, cool. So he's super into wine. So yeah, it's really interesting to kind of see the sports and music culture uh, really love this element of of this art. I just learned Dwayne Wade had his own label. I he just does. saw that today. I yeah. had no idea. Wade Sellers. <laughs> yeah. Who knew? I know. Everybody's getting into the wine game. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now, you also do a lot of events during the year. Uh, private blending sessions, vineyard dinners, uh, state events. Uh, what's, what are some of those kind of events that, uh, that you get involved with? So, they can really vary. Um, we're... Do events uh, like uh, next or sorry the week after I'll be flying to Colorado, and I'm doing an event in Boulder um, at Frosca Restaurant with Bobby Stuckey, the Master Psalm um, out there, and so we're going to do a very paired uh, meal where we work directly with Bobby and the chef, and do a, I think it's a six course meal paired with our, all of uh, my different wines. Um, to blending seminars where it might be, I've, I've done this at the CIA, uh, I'm going to the Yellowstone Club um, the week after that to uh, do a private blending seminar there, uh, put blends together and then do kind of similar thing where we pair with a chef and, uh, and do a sit down, uh, very meticulous dinner, uh, specifically surrounded by uh, the different wines. Uh, so yeah, there's, I, I do a lot of different winemaker dinners, events, all over, uh, we're, we're, we'll have our wines at Outside Lands this year. Oh, uh, we'll, we'll be in the VIP tent there. Cool. Uh, that overlaps when I'm going to be at the Yellowstone Club, so unfortunately I won't be there. But uh, Lauren Wong, who's our VP of Sales and Marketing, who's amazing, so you're, you're, you're much better off uh, hanging out with her than me, <laughs> trust me. Uh, she'll be there pouring the wine. So, um, yeah, we, we, we love pretty much if there is... Uh, Skiing, music, and food. I, I'm I'm good on the event. <laughs> and now, some who are some of the musicians that you've either worked with or made wine for um, with your wines? 
Um, the only musician that I've really worked with is Justin Timberlake. Um, I made the wedding wine for him and Jessica Biel, uh, which was a really fun project when they got married out in Italy. And uh, it was, a, again, an Alexander Valley Cabernet uh, called mm-hmm. Blue Ocean Floor, which was the last song on his album 2020 Experience mm-hmm. about uh, Jessica. And uh, one of their friends did a painting, and we did that as the, as the label. So it was a very... Um, uh, Every element of the bottle, the the wine, everything was about them, which I thought was really cool. Nice. Um, but usually, I'm just drinking and listening to music, <laughs> yeah. whether it's live or uh, or on the radio or whatever it may be. What's been the last concert that you attended? Last concert, I've been so dang busy this year. Uh, I think it was Bottle Rock, which was I went oh, out yeah. for three days in Bottle mm-hmm. Rock, which was a lot of fun. And uh, Shep Gordon was out there, so mm-hmm. we did a little party. Um, uh, at the roof of Charlie Palmer's restaurant uh, one night with cool. uh, with a band and chef and uh, and some of our wines, um, but yeah, anytime you incorporate food and wine, as I'm probably preaching to the choir here, <laughs> uh, I think that is a lovely, lovely pairing. Absolutely. Now, now when you're doing a, a specific wine, like you mentioned, the Justin Timberlake one, how how early do you have to find out or that you know that you're going to do something like that? Because I mean, you can't just Wine just doesn't appear. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When, when in the process do you start something like that or start thinking about what it's going to be? Well, I've known um, uh, the Beale family for a while. So I've known Jess uh, and her younger brother, uh, Justin Beale, for many, many years. Uh, uh, Justin's one of my best friends. And so I got to know uh, Justin Timberlake quite well. And he's super into wine, as is his family. And so we've did a bunch of ski trips together. And as they were kind of going down, uh, the road and get, going to get married. Uh, we obviously this is a big uh, production, and so we started talking and uh, decided to do some custom things. So I think it was a year out when we, were, but that's probably the, the minimum because you're right to kind of put it in a fine tuned <laughs> blend. And uh, it's it's I don't say if someone call, and this has happened, someone's like, hey, we'd love to do a custom blend next week. We're like, that's not going to happen. <laughs> no. yeah. I'm not one of the winemakers who's just going to buy some bulk and slap on a label for you. Yeah. So. Uh, if I do a project, I really want it to be very intentional, uh, and and whatever that occasion is, I want the wine to match that. Mm-hmm. Shall we move on in the the flight here? Oh, <laughs> onto the reds. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So this is the Aperture 2016 red wine. So this is a Bordeaux blend. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, a blend of Cabernet Merlot, Cabernet Franc, and Malbec, and this all comes from. Uh, our different vineyard sites throughout Alexander Valley, really kind of focusing uh, on the area from Geyserville all the way to uh, Chalk Hill Road. So kind of that eastern um, uh, core part of Alexander Valley, uh, that southeastern part of Alexander Valley. And everything's fermented separately. If you look at the label there, you can see uh, some of our barrels being toasted and shaped uh, that my father captured uh, at one of our cooperages we work with in Bordeaux. Because we, we really f- kind of, every element that goes into this wine, um, we have our fingerprints on. So we work with cooperages that do specific toasts just for our wines. And this is a photo of of that process that I think kind of tied this all together. And that's such a cool photo, too. It's an, I know. Like, I've, I've, I've got that one up in my house. Like that. That's so rad. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So this is. Uh, this stays in barrel for about 18 months. Um, there's about 50% new French oak on this. That will kind of change vintage to vintage. Uh, we'll really kind of fine-tune the oak depending on that vintage. Uh, and this is the 2016, and I just love how this is drinking right now. Yeah, that's delicious and super smooth, not heavy on the tannins. There, there is actually a lot of tannins there, but they're super silky. You yeah. know, it just kind of glides across the palate. Doesn't, I don't pucker. No, you know? no, no, like, exactly. I hate it when that happens, so it's really nice. Thank you. And smooth, yeah. Now, with the uh, you mentioned the label art um, using some of your dad's photos, when you're getting these wines ready, is that a collaborative collaborative process with him, or are you picking from work he's already done, or are you designing these kind of as you go? So that photo will be with our red blend, our Bordeaux blend, every single vintage. So we don't switch out the photo uh, year in and year out. But whenever we're coming out with a new skew or a new label. Uh, my father is very, very a part of that. And so usually um, it's like it's Lauren, myself and my father drinking the wine and going through thousands of my father's photos to kind of match that photo to the wine. Um, but once we come up with that photo, that will be and sometimes it's a very direct like the Sauvignon Blanc. That's a photo of our Sauvignon Blanc 
grape that went into that uh, bottle at one of the vintages, as is the Cabernet. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it's like devil proof, which is, has its own identity. Uh, but you know, my, my father is very involved, um, so much so that um, like every single label, if you look at these, they're as close to the real photo I, as I think you possibly can get. And uh, uh, Lauren Wong's father, uh, our VP of sales and marketing, uh, is, is Chuck House, who's one of the most famous label design uh, artists out there. He's designed, uh, there's a whole book on him called Icon, but he's designed everything. He's a brilliant, brilliant guy. Him and my father get together and we send them out to the label press and they're there for like eight hours just driving <laughs> these people nuts, making sure that, the, the, that that photo, that that label uh, look, looks absolutely perfect. So that's really their art. And so we kind of let them loose after we kind of come up with the concept. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I love how they look. It's, it's, uh, it's yeah, very special to me. Now, when you are in the vineyards and when you're making the wine, are you listening to music while you're doing that? And if so, what are you listening to? Um, I don't listen to music when I'm in the vineyard because I like to kind of have my full senses on the vineyard. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when I'm driving, I spend a lot of windshield time during harvest. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I guess it depends on the hour, how much energy I have. <laughs> and I'll always at the winery, once we go back and the crush pads going loud and stuff, there's always music rolling. And so... Mm-hmm. The, the the variation is massive there. It could be yeah. anywhere from uh, classic rock to gangster rap, depending nice. on uh, w- what the crew needs at that time. <laughs> if it's midnight and we still have 20 tons to process, we're listening to gangster rap. For real, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that seems to be a common trend. Yeah, in, that's right. In, yeah. Uh, <laughs> gangster rap is making wine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the, those new Sonos things, we got to make sure the hospitality uh, side is very different from production <laughs> side. You don't yeah. want a nice, fine tasting all of a sudden to get interrupted by Snoop. <laughs> or maybe you do. I think I would enjoy it. I'd be like, yes. <laughs> this is my type of wine. Exactly. Uh, you had a great, I think it was on the website, you had a great quote comparing uh, the photography world and the wine world saying there, there's sort of a storytelling in both of them. Do you see kind of parallels in that? Yeah, in so many ways. Um, like if you look at a photo, it really captures a single moment in time. Um, and I think a bottle of wine, especially kind of if you're looking at really uh, terroir-driven wines or even single vendor wines, is capturing a single season, a single m- moment in that time that evolves. Uh, so I think there's that element. And also, um, as to my winemaking, like I don't acidify any of the wines. I don't inoculate with commercial yeast. There's no fining. There's no filtration. My father doesn't even own Photoshop. And so there's not a lot of alteration to his photos as mm. well. And I think anytime you see like a oversaturated photo that they mess with the colors and add <laughs> unicorns and uh, rainbows to you're like all right that's kind of interesting but it's a little cheesy and uh, I don't know if I want to look at that all the time and I think that's true with wine I think if you have someone who's doctoring their wines all the time and adding a bunch of stuff and trying to tweak it and uh, that comes through in the final product as well and it might be an interesting to taste once but you're like oh I like I, this tastes like cough syrup and alcohol right now <laughs> I mean, you can also make a music parallel to that too. That's oh yeah, it, it fits right in. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. No, I think those uh, you know, art, wine, and music. There's so many different parallels that play within one another, and that was really the music aspect. Is uh, uh, I would like to incorporate more and more with Aperture. Uh, it will probably have to be more acoustic. I don't know if I can do any. Uh, um, speakered music at, at the new facility. Bottle Rock 2. <laughs> <laughs> Sonoma County version. Um, but no, mu- music, art, uh, all, all different aspects of art and wine, uh, that's really kind of what Aperture brand is um, embodies. Now, it, uh, your, your dad's work also showcased in downtown Healdsburg uh, in a gallery down there. Uh, have you guys ever collaborated on an event uh, at the gallery? Matt... Matt matching up the photos with uh, with your wines at all? Well, at, so at the gallery, up until we were able to open up the new facility, uh, we shut down my dad's gallery and we hold private tastings right there uh, in the square of Healdsburg. So if anyone's interested, um, you can find our information on our website, uh, Aperture Cellars, um, Google Aperture Cellars. I think it's aperture-cellars.com. Um, but we can do private tastings there. We do sell out because it's we shut down the whole gallery and there's one private tasting there. So it's not, uh, we're not able to do many of those, uh, which is a really fun experience because it's very intimate. You're s- sitting in a gallery surrounded by my father's work drinking uh, our wine. So it's, it is a really nice experience. But yeah, we, my dad and I have done stuff from like 
my father teaching photo classes in the morning to blending. <laughs> I do blending seminars in the afternoon and then we co-host a dinner that evening. Mm-hmm. Um, we've done, I know my father also has done like um, uh, cooking and photography classes where he's gone to Italy with a chef and again, kind of teaches photography in the morning and then they teach cooking uh, in the evening. So that kind of whole element, food, wine and photography uh, is something that we love to do and we'll probably be able to do more and more in this um what we're building right now is certainly going to be an incubator to kind of all these crazy ideas that I have. <laughs> Can't wait to hear what those are. I know no, you're yeah. not going to spill the secrets <laughs> yet. <Nah>. But. <laughs> There's a lot of them, so we could be here all night. Now, for all the different accolades and accomplishments we've talked about, is there something going forward? Do you, do you have, is there that one thing you're, you're still working towards that you want to accomplish, in, whether it's in the wine world or with the tasting room or in anything in general? Well, getting to build my dream winery is is getting this up and going and and getting this moving forward is has a lot of my attention right now. Um, so I'm honored to be able to do, to do that right now. I f- I feel very very blessed to kind of be able to create my dream. So that's and that will kind of enable me to uh, as far as in winemaking to really kind of fine tune the art there because I'll have a full facility just devoted to the style of wines that I'm wanting to do and uh, new experiments. We'll have an in-house laboratory right there. So we can really kind of start to really fine tune our vineyards, our winemaking techniques, our blends, all that kind of stuff. So we, it should just really kind of continue to ele- elevate this, uh, our wines. But uh, that's one thing with me, as, as with my father as well, like we are uh, people that are never satisfied. And so constantly fine tuning and kind of moving uh, evolving with uh, trying to perf- perfect our craft is is something that we'll always do. Is there a particular varietal that you have not worked with yet that you plan to or would like to work with in the future? So when I purchased the property that we're building Aperture Cellars on, it's a 40-acre parcel with, uh, when I purchased it, there was about 30 acres of vineyards. And um, it was mostly old vine Zinfandel. Mm-hmm. And uh, my, the first year in 2017, um, I purchased it after harvest in 2016. Um, I made a little bit of wine out of each block. There was nine different blocks and I made a little bit just to kind of dabble to see what the uh, the vineyards were doing. And there was a lot of like virus and old vine. Some of them were like 30 years old. So not incredibly old in, in the Zinfandel uh, world, especially with, we had two blocks that were planted in 1912. Oh, wow. Um, okay. And after making the wine in Zinfandel, I, I had made a little bit and put into blends. Uh, when I was at Roth, we, the heritage had a significant amount of Zen in it. Um, so I'd made Zen in the past, but it's certainly not a passion of mine by any stretch of the imagination. Most Zens I'm not a huge fan of, to be honest. Uh, there's a few producers like Limerick Lane, Carlisle, uh, Russell Bevins making an amazing Zen that really do a nice job. But out, I'm, I'm sure I'm missing some of, of uh, the spectacular Zens out there, but there's a lot of Zens I don't like. Um, but after making these uh, wines from these 1912 blocks, the wine was really, really unique. It was bright, fresh. There was a lot of acidity to it. Uh, it almost had like a rich Burgundian aspect to it. Um, and we, that's how we made it. We didn't do, we did a lot of punch downs on it and really kind of focused on, uh, the elegant side of, of Zinfandel, which is, is not always easy to do. And after that, we decided to get rid of all the virus vines. And the only thing that was remaining was the two blocks that were planted in 1912. So we have eight acres of 1912 uh, Zinfandel mm-hmm. that we'll continue to make, uh, four uh, Aperture Cellars, and then we were redeveloping the rest of it uh, to Bordeaux varietals. We had a soil scientist, this guy named Paul Anamosa, come out, uh, and within the 30 acres, we, he did 56 soil pits, gave me a full 3D map of, uh, did eight, uh, six to eight foot uh, feet uh, soil pits, gave me a full soil map of water holding capacity, clay content, uh, organic material, um, all the all the different elements, and was like, this these sites are spectacular for Bordeaux varietals. So we have a couple blocks of Cabernet coming in, um, Malbec, uh, Merlot, some clones that we that I worked with uh, and, and saw when I was at Petrus, uh, Semillon clones from Ikem, and then some Sauvignon Musquet that we're planning on the property. Oh wow! But those two blocks of 1912 Zen will stay, and so that will be kind of the first departure from Aperture. Um, outside of the Bordeaux rattles. Now, you mentioned with the new winery, you can have, uh, I think you said we'll have a lab on site. 
how much of the winemaking process is sort of science based? Like how how much of the coming up with a wine is scientific? It's really depends on the winemaker, to be honest. Uh, I think all great winemakers use science as a guideline. Um, Some are very, very strict to the numbers, uh, and some use them as a tool to kind of react to. I'm much more in the sense, I look at it much more as an artistic side of things. Uh, So I'm I'll, I'll constantly look at the numbers to make sure we're kind of heading in the right direction. Rarely uh, do I alter them that much, though. Um, so really, I kind of like to let the vintage, the vineyard uh, speak to itself and not tweak with that too much. So, um, yeah, it's, it's more. And also the laboratory is not just purely running chemistry. It's kind of running different trials. And, you know, we, we ferment at multiple different temperatures. We do even for reds barrel fermentations, uh, open-top fermentations, uh, stainless steel fermentations. So kind of being able to monitor that all the way through and seeing how that is affected is uh, one of the key parts of having that laboratory. And there's also a technical tasting area, so we'll be able to kind of uh, have our production team uh, really focus on that as well. Now, um, so you mentioned in the beginning uh, that you kind of were introduced to wine kind of early on. How old were you when you first had your first sip of wine, and what was it, if you remember? I think I was about 12 years old, and it was a Pinot Noir when we were in Burgundy. And and even at a young age, like even for a simple mind like myself, it was easy for me to understand in Burgundy, almost all the red wine was Pinot Noir and all the white wine was Chardonnay. But how vastly different it could be from the the same grape, from the same vintage, from village to village. Uh, even proximity not too far away. And so that kind of whole essence of how a site really has an effect on the final product uh, was really interesting to me very, very early on. Wow. And so um, that is my first memory of, of it. I don't know. My, my dad might have given me a sip when I was two to <laughs> calm me down or yeah, right. shut me up. Uh, but that was my first true memory of it. Okay, nice. How about you, Mike? When was your first sip of wine? Was it last good week? It probably, yeah, it was a, a no. couple months first ago. Sip. No, <laughs> I'm worried about you, man. I actually don't remember. <laughs> we, we've built it up. Should we try them all back? Well, we still have this one to try. Okay. Whatever so you think. It's up to you. Yeah, yeah. Let's, we, we, we can do a quick power taste. Okay. I, th- this is a really special wine. So this is, um, uh, this is the Aperture Cabernet um, blend. This is a blend of four different hillside vineyards uh, on the eastern part of Alexander Valley that all have uh, these amazing volcanic soils. And um, we're able to get an amazing concentration from these wines, but kind of still stick to our very silky, uh, lush uh, texture in the wines. And then there's a really nice bright acidity to this because of the coolness of some of these sites. Like the big difference, why why I started Aperture, and this was the first wine uh, that I started the brand Aperture with back in 2009. When I was at uh, Screaming Eagle, I actually started this brand with my father, um, was to kind of showcase some of the unique sites uh, on the Sonoma side, which is slightly cooler. And mainly, like sometimes our daytime temperatures can be similar to uh, areas within Oakville, um, but we don't have the Mayakama Mountains blocking any of the Pacific Ocean, ocean mm-hmm. coastal influence. Mm-hmm. So our nighttime temperatures are usually like 15 degrees cooler uh, than a lot of the parts of Napa. And so those diurnal swings, the, the heats of the day to the cool of the night, um, really kind of holds acidity, lengthens our growing season, uh, and makes wines, in my mind, the best of both worlds. We have these powerful, rich, very layered, concentrated Cabernets, but at the same time, with that extra length and growing season that's a little bit silkier and softer, if grown right and in the right sites, don't get me wrong, not not all sites within Sonoma are are equal by any stretch of the imagination. Um, And there's always a little bit more acidity in there, too, because of those cool nights, natural acidity, at least. Um, And so that's why I kind of created this brand. uh, And for a while, it was just this one wine. Mm -hmm. And we started setting records for highest rated uh, Cabernets coming out of Alexander Valley. Um, And we started to kind of grow and grow the portfolio a little little by little. But, you know, it's my, my father, who's a photographer, and I, so it's um, it's it was it was definitely small little chunks up until uh, the last few years. And then um, what inspired you to kind of create this next label label of the Devil Proof wines? 
my time in Argentina. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, working for two of the best estates out there uh, for Paul Hobbs at Vina Cobols and then for uh, Bodega Naomia um, and wanting to showcase what a single bottling of Malbec could do in California. Awesome. That was That was my main goal. Well, clearly you're doing it well. So, <laughs> I, 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 I knew like I knew we could do something very special in California. So, honored uh, that we have had the followers to kind of follow our path with this one because mm-hmm. it was it was a little bit outside of the box. Yeah. Now you you've worked in so many different regions around the world. Is there something that defines Sonoma County wines that is specific to here that had certain characteristics that they have? Well, I think. One of the things that is defines Sonoma County is the diversity. It is one of the few regions in the world, possibly the, the, the most diverse out of anywhere, that you can go to the coolest coastal areas and it can be cooler than Champagne, France. Uh, and you can go to the eastern hills uh, where, where most of these uh, Cabernets and Bordeaux Reds are coming from. And uh, it can be warmer than parts of Bordeaux. And so you have a vast, you know, in Sonoma County alone, you have a vast variation of climatic differences, soil differences, aspect differences. So really for a winemaker, you in a, in a small uh, area, especially if, as the crow flies, to get from the coast out to the east is not that, dip, not that far. Um, that's why we still do get some coastal influence uh, in even our farthest east parts. Um, you have a range of possibilities that are endless. So um, that Sonoma is very, very special. And I, and I think you see that in our food, too. Like, you look at what um, some of our chefs are doing and having their own gardens. And, um, you know, Kyle from Single Threads going out to the coast and picking these unique uh, um I, every you were just there. You eat mm-hmm. there, and you're like, "Well, I don't. What are these flavors? Yeah. And where did you <laughs> find these? And they're incredible." Uh, to Dustin Vallet has his own little personal ga- uh, garden just in the square of Healdsburg, you mm-hmm. know, or just outside of the square of Healdsburg. Um, so you you really have a diversity of what you're able to grow, food wise, wine wise, and so I, that's why I think it's truly one of the greatest regions in the world. Awesome. <laughs> Advancing? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, did you want to try this one, Jesse? Uh, let's dive into Devil Proof. Okay. I don't get to try it that often. Yeah. So, um, switching up into the music world, um, what what is like? What are you currently listening to? What's on your iPod? Oh, that's 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 as diverse as Sonoma County. Which is great. Uh, <laughs> yeah, hit us with it. Um, well, after Bottle Rock, uh, there is a few new artists that I really... Yeah, who did you like? Um, Tash Sultana, I thought was amazing. She did an incredible job. Um, Bishop Briggs, I thought she, oh, her yes. energy was insane. She was so good. Um, I had been listening to Mumford & Sons, but I thought they did a great set. Uh, I was really excited with what they brought. So, I, I, you know, I'm... Kind of like uh, with wine, there's not like one specific wine type or style or yeah. varietal I drink. As long as it's good music, mm-hmm. I'm kind of up for it. Country is the only thing that is not. I I still have a tough time with country. <laughs> yeah, for it's, sure. It's like white Zinfandel. Country <laughs> country is my white Zinfandel. <laughs> exactly. I haven't found one that I like yet, and they're just tough to swallow. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> <laughs> but pretty much anything outside of that, I'm I'm. Uh, if there's some talent there, I'm good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, Tash Saltana was amazing. Um, oh, w- one woman show, yeah. and like, like I had heard her songs before, mm-hmm. but I had no idea like how she just looped everything Seriously. and put everything together. Uh, that so was cool. that was pretty cool. I'm seeing her, I think, in September. At Where the Greek in Berkeley? <sighs> September's tough for me. I yeah. gotta be, I gotta be at a winery. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> T- tell her, I'm, and t- any any uh, music lovers out there. Uh, if you're an artist, come out to Aperture Cellars. Find me on Instagram or, or on, and let's play some music and drink some wine. I'll bring the wine, you bring the music, and we can create a party. Exactly. Yeah. We'll be there, too. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you know all the artists. Come on. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and chefs. We need a couple chefs, too. That mm-hmm. I can help with. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Um, and um, I don't know. What else was I going to ask about music? Um, okay, so one question that I love to ask everybody that comes on the show is... If you have a really good day, you go home, what is your favorite food, wine, and music pairing? Like, what do you put on, what do you eat, and what do you drink when you feel good? That is really difficult because that really depends on who I'm with, uh, 
the weather outside. So yeah. that, that is that is a tough question for me because I could love like a killer bottle of champagne and sushi and oh, yeah. you know sit out. That 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 is that I, I love that kind of pairing in a warm day. Um, but if you know a, a classic thing that I love to do is kind of to spoil myself a little bit is get an amazing piece of steak or lamb like lamb roast, um, some roasted potatoes and. This devil proof that mm-hmm. is a really fun wine too, because <laughs> yeah. uh, I don't get to drink this that often, and so every <laughs> once in a while I'll I'll pop a bottle, and um, especially if we if I have some uh, good family or friends in town to kind of uh, show them what we're doing, especially with some age, mm-hmm. like we uh, not that I have much of it left, but some of the earlier vintages of Aperture and Devil Proof, um, when we're able to pull corks on those and kind of showcase how well they're aging, it's really special. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is amazing. So thank you for sharing that. Of with course, us. yeah. What yeah. do you think? It's phenomenal. Yeah. It's a whole different beast, huh? It really is. Yeah. Mike, what do you like? Do you like it? It you is fan? one of the most complex wines I've ever tasted. It's amazing. <laughs> thank you. Like even my sad novice palate realizes the difference. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to kind of share your story with us and share your amazing wines and. Um, all that amazing stuff. Of course. Sorry it took me so long. Yeah, it's all good. Hey, 50th episode. So yeah, exactly. Perfect. That's it what, worked out. The true re- reason why it took so long. Yeah. Now, yeah. for people <laughs> wanting to get a hold of some Aperture or some Devil Proof, uh, where should people go? Go to the website? Is there a number to call? <laughs> yeah, w- uh, website has all the information. Uh, Aperture-sellers.com. Devil Proof Vineyards. Uh, yeah, devilproofvineyards.com. Um, and then you can find... Um, Myself on social at J K A T Z W I N E, um, and yeah, but the, the website's really the best way, uh, and that's how you can kind of book appointments uh, at our private gallery space, and then get on our uh, mailing list. Uh, if there's wines available, we'll be able to pur- purchase those through Aperture, or get on the wait list for Devil Proof. It's it's two di- different lists, just so people know as well. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Of course. And thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, check us out every Tuesday, Rock and Vino, R-O-C-K-N-V-I-N-O.com. Thanks so much. You guys rock. Thanks. Thanks.